Let's pray. God, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for this week, um, Lord, that some of us got to spend time with family. Some of us got to spend time together. Some of us got to rest. Lord, as we learn uh, more about you, um, we pray those words of the song that, that you be magnified in each and every one of our lives, Lord. Lord, if there's anybody struggling, um, God, that they reach out to you, they reach out to one of us. If there's somebody here that doesn't have a relationship with you, God, that they grow into that, that they um, receive you today. And Jesus, we're just so thankful for you and what you're doing in each one of our lives. In your precious holy name, amen. There we are. Woo. Anybody else tired? Well, it's going to be a good morning. Thank you for being here. Hope you all had a good uh, Thanksgiving. Um, if you are a guest, by the way, um, we've had some people sick. So uh, <laughs> get to kind of fill in a bunch of different roles today, but we're going to manage uh, nonetheless. But if you all had a good Thanksgiving, and I know you did, I hope you did. Um, how many of y'all, we asked it earlier though, I mean, we all ate a lot, but how many of y'all ate so much that you only had the short breaths? You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, you couldn't, you couldn't quite get a full breath, but you, you're just taking these short breaths. It's like coming somebody like the wind out of you. I was there a little bit too, which I can't figure out. I was telling uh, Don earlier this, uh, this morning, just a second ago, like, like, I don't feel like I ate a ton. I just felt like I didn't stop eating. It was just like, it wasn't like all at once. It was just kind of like I grazed all day long until you're sitting there you're going, <sighs> just trying to get the short breath instead of a deep breath. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're with me on that, or maybe you're not. If you have a Bible with me, we're in a James chapter 5 today. It'll be in verse 7 through 12. Just kind of catch you up on the book of James, all throughout the book of James. He's, he is, uh, James is consistently challenging the attitude of our heart. We've seen it all throughout since James 1.1, 1, 1, and we're going to see it to the very, very end of this book, that, our, that the attitude of our heart is challenged. In chapter 3, James challenges us on how we speak and the words that we use, because the words we speak show the condition of our heart. Last week, James challenged us on how we use our wealth. And if you remember the fiddler on the roof store, we have Tevier. He wanted to be rich, but why did he want to be rich? He wanted a big house right in town. You remember that? With a staircase that went to nowhere. And why, but why was his purpose? Why did he want that? So people could see how rich he is. The attitude of his heart was to bring glory to himself. The blessings of the Lord are not the end game. That was his end game when we talk about the financial freedom that he found. Was not, that was his end game, but that's not the end game. They are given to us by the Lord to be used as a blessing and to make his name famous throughout all of the earth. Anything less than that reveals the condition of our heart. So James continues to challenge the church on their attitude of their heart. And we're going to pick up on James chapter 5. You guys remember the, uh, maybe, you, maybe you, it's not remember, it's not like the guy's passed away, but you guys might remember the comedian um, Yakov Smirnov. Remember Yakov? It's, it's, an, it's the perfect name for a comedian, I think. It's funny just as you say it. Now, if, what you may not know is Yakov was actually a, a Ukrainian uh, uh, 
transplant from back in the day. He came from 1977, he came over here, uh, and he began his comedy career in America. As a matter of fact, you can still see him. If you want to go see a show, you can go over to Branson. He's got a huge um, theater, 1,200-seat theater that you could go and watch. I think it's 1,200-seat. You can go watch him and do his comedy. I remember him in a lot of different movies growing up. He, was in, he did some cameos in some movies um, that I was watching as I was a kid. Um, or you would see him on The Tonight Show or, you know, with Carson or with Jay Leno or those people uh, back in the day. When he says here, he says, he tells this story. He says, when he first came to the United States from Ukraine, he was not prepared for the incredible variety of instant products available in American grocery stores. He says, on my first shopping trip, I saw powdered milk. He says, you just add water and you get milk. Then I saw powdered orange juice. You just add water and you get orange juice. And then I saw baby powder. And I thought to myself, what a country. What a country. It's amazing. It's interesting, and we, we talk about this a, a lot. We, um, James here, uh, he, he begins to challenge us um, in our patience. We live in a world in which we like instant things, whether that's instant milk, whether that's orange juice or, I guess, babies, right? There's, there is a, uh, in, in the world in which we live, in the culture in which we are raising our kids and parents, it's a very impatient uh, society, I mean, we have microwaves, obviously, that we cook a lot of our food in. Many of us use that over and over again over the course of the last several days, and we'll use it this afternoon as you eat your 30th meal of turkey. It's going to happen this afternoon. We actually smoked a turkey yesterday. Again, another one, because it was going to go bad, so we smoked it. So my kids, surprise, we're having turkey for lunch. So we have the microwaves. And then we have, I think it was the biggest thing that um, we have, uh, I don't know, it's been a big change, at least in my life, has been internet speeds. Now, many of y'all will remember back in the day, we, when you had the dial-up stuff and you had the fun noise that comes on and you're having to wait, I remember you would just wait. You didn't have anything else to do. You just kind of waited. Some days you hoped it would connect and then you would try again if it didn't. And then you would connect. And then when you would finally go look at an article or go to even pull up a picture of an image, maybe even an email, an image that was in an email, it would actually load the, the image line by pixel line. And you would just look at and you would try to figure out what the image is before it would come up. You're like, oh, what's it going to be? It was like just waiting. The suspense was killing us. And now, last night, I'm on Facebook, checking Facebook for the, uh, I promise you it was only the, the only time I was on it yesterday, checking Facebook, going through scrolling, and a, a video popped up, I'm watching this video, and it started the buffer wheel. And the buffer wheel, I just, I just threw my head back. I was like, oh, I cannot believe this. I'm having to wait on this video to load. I have high-speed internet, folks. It should load. We have, we live in an impatient world. If it's not popped up on our screen like this, we think something's wrong. We live in a very impatient world. James here, in James chapter 5, wants to challenge us and encourage us along the way as well when it comes to our patience. So if you would, James chapter 5, I'm going to read 7 through 12. If you wouldn't mind standing with me as we read. James writes, verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord... See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. 
As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we considered those blessed who remain steadfast. We have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray every week that it would transform us, that it would challenge us. Lord, that we would be forever changed when we leave this room. And God, we pray the same thing today. And so God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at, his, uh, be at work within this room and do what only he can do. So I pray, God, that you would soften our hearts, that we would love you more and have a desire to follow you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of James, as we've, we've talked about over and over and over again, is about genuine faith. And so James is telling us here, first and foremost, that genuine faith is patient. Genuine faith is patient. In, in, verses, uh, in verse 7 and 8, James tells us that we should live patiently with God's timing. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. He says, be patient. Again, it's this imperative. Remember, this is kind of the idea of a dad talking to his children. You know, he's, he's telling them, be patient. It's a loving father talking to them and encouraging them along the way, but, but also telling them and encouraging them at the same time. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. What is he talking about here? The coming of the Lord is the Christ's second coming when he's coming back. And he says, and we'll get here a little bit later, that it's near, that it's near. He says, so be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And then he gives us the analogy. See how a farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives early and the late rains. I am not a farmer. Um, I think uh, there are people who were born to farm, and then there was Will. Will likes to farm at Walmart and at Meyer and at Kroger. Now, there are farmers out there who and this happens every year. If you ever listen to the ag report, um, don't ask me why I do. I don't understand any of it. But I'll listen to the ag report uh, driving to work every now and then. And they, there's always the farmers talking about the needed rain. Oh, we've had enough rain here. We need more rain here. And if you've ever planted a crop, then you know that your crop is dependent upon the rain. If the rains do not come, then you have to find some way to water your fields. But everybody and every farmer wants the rain. And he says that we should be patient just like the farmer is patient on the rains. The thing about the rains is that the farmer can do nothing to get the rain there. He's not doing a rain dance. Maybe he is. It'd be fun on YouTube, right, to watch that. There's a, there's a farmer out there who is praying prayerfully for rain. Why? Because he knows that he can do nothing to make it rain. Again, it's, the, it's a theme throughout the book of James is that it's a dependence on the Lord issue is that James is saying that if we're going to be patient, he's saying be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, that the rains come from the Lord, we will be dependent upon him through any and all circumstances. In verse 8, he says, so you also be patient. Establish your hearts. He says, establish your hearts. It means hold fast, be settled. Have this settled in your being. Settled in your being. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. So the church, this early church, um, as we've talked before, was 
I mean, it was like any early church. They had struggles. They were trying, and James here is trying to encourage and challenge the church to live godly lives, to live a life of genuine faith. And here we are, this church is living and trying to live for Jesus, trying to live for Christ in a world in which there was massive persecution. This is the early church when uh, the church has been scattered and they're going everywhere. And as they're going, because they're scared to death to die, they're still telling people about Jesus. The greatest thing that has ever happened to the proclamation of the gospel is persecution. It's specifically the persecution of the early church. Because what happened is when they got persecuted, they get scared. They want to they live. But as they go into every corner of the earth, they share the gospel to share the good news about what Jesus has done. And so what has happened here is this church is, is growing and, and God's church is growing, but all of a sudden, like, there's still persecution going about. And so James is encouraging his church to be patient. God is in control. And he says, establish your hearts, set your hearts on the Lord because the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's the very same thing that's for us today. Regardless of what it is that what's happening in the world around us, we establish our hearts that God is who he says he is and that we, in fact, will be patient and wait on the coming of the Lord because it's near. It's as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. One commentator said that that to hold fast, to establish our hearts as a firm adherence to the faith in midst of difficulties and trials. So he says to establish your heart or to strengthen your heart, hold fast to it. It's like saying, hold on, y'all. Jesus is coming back soon, and you will need to hold on. It is near in this grand scheme of redemption history, just remember That we are but a vapor, as James tells us in James chapter 4, and reminding us again that we are a vapor. Our patience proves, our patience proves our dependence on the Lord. And in our patience, we trust that the Lord is in complete control. We, by by being patient in life, not talking about a microwave, or we're not talking about internet speeds, but just in life in general. When, we, when, when God tells us and James is encouraging us to be patient, we, in fact, as we are patient, we are resting in God's sovereignty, that he's in complete control. I love control. I don't know if anybody likes having control. I do like having control. I like things my way. Maybe you're not that way. Maybe you are. And I like things to happen when I want them to happen. But over and over and over again throughout my life, and I'm sure you can, you can be a testament to this as well in your life, is that when I try to control things, things just get screwed up. But when I sit back and I'm patient, and I sit there and survey all that's going on around, and I, I rest in God's sovereignty, you know, God tends to work all those things out, and I have nothing to do with it. And so what James is encouraging us to do is to be patient Be patient because God is in control. It is his timing, not our own timing. So we should live patiently with God's timing. We also should live patiently with one another. A common theme that he talks about, again, throughout 
throughout this book. Verse 9, he says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. He says, do not grumble, groan, sigh, cry. Do not, you know, just moan and not want to be around people and struggle. And do, just do not grumble with one another. With somebody who is under these, these trials or hardships. You get those people, right? When you come to church specifically. And this doesn't happen here, though. South Campus is like the coolest place on earth, right? So this doesn't happen here. But you've been those places where you walk in and you, everybody's got their smile on. And you know, how, how's it going? And you're like, oh, you know, things were good. How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, it was good. It was good. And then you kind of walk and you move on. But you've also been around that. You've, maybe you've had an instance in your life when you walk in. You go, how's things going? And somebody's like, oh, let me tell you. And at that moment, you realize, oh, no, I've messed up. Right, Because you know this is going to be a 10-minute conversation and you got places to move. And they begin to share with you all the things that are going on in their life. And then you take that stuff home and you'll go, you'll never believe what happened to me today at church. Or what happened to me at Walmart or at Target whenever you stop somebody. And then we begin to grumble about the conversation that we had and the person that we had that conversation with to our family and to our friends. I'm guilty of it. Plenty of you sitting in the seat know that I'm guilty of it. But James here tells us to not grumble against one another. He says, it, again, it's, this is another imperative. Do not grumble against one another. However, James isn't telling us not to share our burdens. He's just saying don't grumble against one another. In Galatians 6.2, Paul writes, he, says, he tells us that we are to bear one another's burdens. We're to bear each other's burdens. We're to talk. We're to have conversations. We're to be involved in each other's lives so we know what's going on. However, we don't grumble about them. We bear each other's burdens, but we don't sit down. We don't talk. It's, it's akin to slander, as James talked about earlier in James chapter 3. He said we're to talk with one another. We're to share each other's burdens, but we're not to slander one another. Paul connects this idea of patience with the bearing with one another in love. If you read in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. What a great, great verse to start out. However, he says in verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. But why does he say this? He says, James says this because that we're, to, we're to be patient with one another. Why? So that we will not be judged. James here is tying the idea of the, second com or the coming of Christ with the judgment of sinners. But it's a, it's a motivation for believers to take careful stock on how they speak regarding one another. Could you imagine? I mean, do you ever sit there and think, like, this book was written for a purpose, right? Like, this was written to a church, to me, it sounds like a dumpster fire. This whole church, I mean, he's sitting there, he's having to call them out on all these different things from how you speak and how you treat one another, how you act, how you, how you deal with money. I mean, this was written for a purpose, and could you imagine being a part of that congregation and that church that this was written to and having to listen to this? 
but it is a motivation for believers for us to sit there and to take careful stock in what it is that we are saying. Because he says in the end of verse 9, so that you will not be judged. James chapter 3, verse 1, you remember, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James chapter 4, verse 11 says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against his brother uh, or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And Paul says in Romans chapter 14, he says, then each of us, you and I believers, will give an account of himself to God. James kind of leans on his big brother. Matthew chapter 12, he tells, Jesus says this, he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account of every careless word they speak. So we should live patiently in God's timing. We also should live patiently with one another. And that means how it is that we talk to people, how we talk about people. To the end, he says, the judge stands at the door. James is telling the church, he's like, the judge, it, it, it's close. It's close. There's a nearness to, to standing outside the door. So it's be on guard in what you say. Judgment is near is what James is trying to tell the church and what he's trying to tell us today is that we need to say Things with patience and with love toward our brother and sister. It is patience that counters a spirit of grumbling and complaining about one another. You guys ever said that prayer? I know many of you have, and I know I have too. Lord, give me patience. Raising kids, Lord, give me patience. You got somebody at work, Lord, give me patience. Maybe you said it recently, and God was just like, I got you. I got you. I'm, I'm going to give you patience, but you know what else I'm going to give you? I'm going to give you holidays where you're going to be around family and you're going to have to exercise this gift that I have given you. Have no fear. The holidays are coming, God says. Because you know when it rolls, you, you know, I mean, you got that, you're like, all right, Uncle Bob's coming. Nobody talk to him about politics. Nobody say anything about politics. And nobody talked to him about hunting, nothing. Like, we're just going to talk about 1970s TV shows, and that's going to be our conversation, because if we get him off topic, it's going to be a trip. You've been there. It probably happened this week, where you're trying to avoid certain topics so that you can, you can keep harmony in the house. Lord, give me patience as my family comes over. He's like, you got it. You got it. Here's some opportunities to exercise that patience. So James tells us that we are living patiently, that as we live patiently, waiting for the coming of, the, of Christ, we must also live patiently with our brothers and sisters. How's your, how's, how is your speech? How is our speech 
regarding our brothers and sisters in Christ? Is there something that we have said lately that we, we would never want them to hear? I mean, you look around the room, you look next to you, maybe your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister. Is there something that you've said that you would never want them to hear? If there is, we have to own it, we have to acknowledge it. And as believers, we should repent. The third thing that James points out here is that we should live patiently in our suffering. In verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Patience and suffering. It didn't take a genius to look around and see the suffering that's going on in the world. We look at what's happened in Ukraine and we think, man, that, that is, that's terrible suffering. What's happened in Ukraine. What happens in the Middle East, that's terrible suffering. We look at what happens in other parts of our world, other parts of our country. We look at every hospital on the planet, and we see nothing but suffering. And here James is telling us to be patient in suffering. There's all kinds of suffering. There's the physical aspect of suffering when something happens. Maybe you're, you're, maybe you're ill, you're not well, battling a, 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 a terminal disease, whatever that may be. There's all kinds of suffering, but there's also the suffering that happens between our ears. Emotionally, mentally, there's suffering everywhere. And still, James is telling the church, remember, this is written to the church. So he's saying that this suffering is happening within the church. Be patient. And then he gives us the example of the Old Testament prophets. Over and over and over again, as you read in the Old Testament, you see prophets who suffered for the Lord. As a matter of fact, take a look. If you've got a Bible and you want to hang a um, left, I believe, um, from James, Hebrews chapter 11. Take a look at verse 32 and following. The writer of Hebrews says this, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Now, this is where you're like, man, that sounds great. This is cool, right? I'm all in. Yes. But then he says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of uh, of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Be patient in suffering, James tells us. 
And as an example of this, check, listen to these Old Testament guys. I don't know about you, but that's a terrible life. Mocking and flogging, chains and imprisonment, stoned, sawn in two, killed with the sword, destitute. Why? Why? It's because they knew that God was sovereign over all things. He's sovereign over the good, and he's sovereign over the suffering. He goes on in verse 11. He says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Why? Why do we look at, and we look at the life of all these, these Old Testament prophets and we, we kind of hold them up with high regard? Why? It's because of what they went through for the name of the Lord. It says, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. I don't know of any other place or any other religion or any, anything that sits there and says, like, if you're not, if your life isn't going awesome, then you're not Blessed. But God says you're blessed if your life stinks for a season. If you're going through suffering, your life is considered blessed. Why? Because they remain steadfast. In their suffering, they continue to be steadfast in the Lord. You have heard, he continues in verse 11, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purposes of the Lord. This is important, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He uses steadfast here as a, as a synonym for being patient, that we should be patient in our suffering, whether that's physical, whether that's mental, we should be patient. Why? Because God is sovereign and we depend on him first and foremost. Over and over throughout the book of James, it's dependence upon the Lord. And again, we are, when we are patient in seasons of suffering, we are dependent upon the Lord. Matthew says, Matthew 5, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He says, we be patient, we're dependent, regardless of what it is that we're going through, whatever it is you're going through, to trust in the Lord. Because in suffering... Because it is in our suffering that God shows himself to be compassionate and merciful. We have an amazing set of examples to follow in the Old Testament. We should recognize that God's people have always been called to suffer well, patiently waiting on the deliverance of the Lord. James patiently reminds us, though we may be struggling, our compassionate and merciful Father will deliver us. So patiently, patiently, patiently wait on him. So we should live patiently in his timing. We should live patiently with one another. We should live patiently in suffering. And we should live patiently with simplicity and integrity. In verse 12, he says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or earth, by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. What does he mean, do not swear? Now, oftentimes as parents... We will we'll rock this thing out of, out of context all day long, 
to try to get our kids, you know, listen, we should, uh, the Bible says don't swear, so don't say that bad word. You know, or your kid comes home on the bus and I learned a new word today. Oh yeah, what was that? You're like, oh my goodness, let's have a conversation about that word. I don't know if you've ever been there, but all my kids learn their cuss words from the bus. I promise, not from their father. But he says, above all, brothers, do not swear. This isn't bad words. This is talking about making oaths. You all ever been in one of those little, uh, we call them spitting contests, where you, you get into a conversation with somebody about, like, a, it's kind of like a fish store. You go fishing. You're like, oh, I caught a four-pound bass. And you're like, oh, that was great. I remember going out in, in the little, this little dry pond out in the middle of the desert, and there wasn't anything there, but I just thought I would cast my hook in there. And next thing I do, I pulled out a 10-pound bass, and, and, and out behind it was this, this little family that came just popping up right into my net. It was unbelievable. We have this little, these little spitting contests on who can have a better story. And when somebody sits there and they hear your story, they're like, ah, I don't believe that. Inevitably, this happens especially with kids. I swear to God. They put their hand up. I swear to God it happened. I swear to God. Maybe you've been there. What James is saying here is that we should have a life that is, we should live a life that is um, a life of integrity so that when we say something, people don't question us. That we don't have to sit there and swear an oath. Oh, I promise you. I promise you on my mother. Probably on my grandmother's grave, whatever it may be. I'll swear on the Bible. Swear on the Bible, it's true. But he's saying that we should live a life of integrity so that when we say what it is that we say, people sit there and they believe us. We don't have to have any other oaths or swear upon anything for people to take our word as true in fact. So he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I think it's pretty simple. When we live a life that is uh, patient, expecting that the Lord is coming, our whole life, is, it's just, that, that lifestyle will reveal our integrity. James obviously borrowed this from his big brother again in Matthew chapter 5. He says this, do not swear, this is Jesus, do not swear at all, either by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem. Do not swear by your head. Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So our lives should be a life of integrity. One commentator said this, James is, as usual, cutting to the essential difference between a genuine faith and a false religion. He is saying, do not allow suffering to pressure you into unbelief. Do not try to impress each other or to manipulate God as if your works uh, were what counted instead of God's grace. Integrity should characterize Christians, and integrity will flow from a, whole, excuse me, flow from a wholehearted reliance on God. Unbelief manifests itself in bargaining, manipulating, and trying to impress. Isn't that what happens whenever we have to say, I swear to God on something, or I swear on the Bible? We're just trying to impress. It is not a life of integrity. Church, our focus should be on living with integrity through good times and through bad times, regardless of what life throws at us. We should walk in integrity, faithfully and patiently, trusting that our loving and merciful Father shows our suffering, excuse me, knows our suffering and will deliver us. Many of us woke up most likely one day this last week and experienced something that you were not expecting. 
a conversation with a, a family member about what's going on in their life and some suffering that's going on in their life. Maybe that was over a piece of pumpkin pie at your grandmother's house, whatever it may have been. And it was a hard situation. It was a hard conversation, hard thing to hear, a saddening thing to hear. Some of us in this room wake up every morning with suffering, with a physical pain or an emotional pain they cannot get away from. God is calling us this morning, and he's saying, wait on me. Trust me. Live faithfully for me. Like so many have done before, all those Old Testament prophets we just read about. Because I'm coming. This too shall pass. I am coming and I will deliver you. Because I love you and I will show you my great mercy. So what is one hardship or trial in your life that just seems to be beating you down? What is it in your life? We've got several in the Smith, in the Smith world that weigh on us emotionally. What is it that is beating you down? We're waiting patiently for his deliverance means that we trust him in the midst of it all. And we can show our faith by trusting and by giving it over to him. Because we can't control it as much as we want to. We can't control what is going on. But we have to faithfully trust him. That he knows what's best for us. That he is sovereign over all things. Sovereign over all the good and sovereign over all the bad. And we just patiently and faithfully wait on him. That's our call this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you're not a Christian. Well, James is pretty clear that Christ will return one day. The day of the Lord is coming, he says. We don't know when, but we can know one unchangeable truth. That the day you will stand before him is closer to today than it was yesterday. And and based on James chapter 4, verse 14, James tells us as a reminder to every single one of us in this room that we are but a vapor. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. If if uh, If you're not a Christian in this room today, the call for you this morning is to turn and to trust him. Wait patiently and hope like the rest of us will for his return. If you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. We want to give you that opportunity to. We don't want you to leave these these walls without coming to faith in Christ. That's our prayer every single morning as we pray prior to the worship service, as we will pray here in just a second, that you would not leave this place without coming to know Jesus. And if you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we've got some people who would love to have that conversation with you. For Christians in this room, Our call this morning is to live patiently for the Lord, knowing that he is sovereign over all things, sovereign over the good things and sovereign over the suffering. And as we live that life, that life, a life that is living patiently for the Lord, knowing that he's in in control, we will live a life of integrity. Would you pray with me this morning?